Say That, the podcast for your big questions, get real answers. My name is Matt King. I'm your host here in the city of Chicago. Joining us here is Jed Brewer. Hurrah! With us all the way from Oak Ridge, Tennessee, is the younger. Yes, I'm here. We have a great show lined up for you. We have some of your fantastic questions. But first, we must declare a historical emergency. Ooh. Mm. We're going to tie this back to the modern day, but I want to start a bit esoterically, if you'll uh, grant me to use that word, I think incorrectly. Um, so this <laughs> is an, an article that I saw come across my Twitter with the amazing, amazing um, title, Buff Boys of America, Eugene Sandow and Jesus. Under the influence wow. of muscular Christianity, Jesus transformed into a muscle-bound Aryan, saving souls through strength and masculinity. Like one does. Sure. So um, this is a an article written by a historian. Uh, it's like an academic article, but it's about a turn of the 20th century movement called Muscular Christianity, which came out of the, the, the British Isles there, where so many good ideas that are good for the world are just come out of and then spread <laughs> from there. Um, but so here's the, uh, the, the long and short of this in 1893, Prussian strongman Eugene Sandow began staging performances. At some point he uh, became a proponent of what was called muscular American Christianity, mm. which is just as dumb as it sounds. But uh, so again, keep in mind, keep the 1890s in mind as I read this paragraph. A muscled up Jesus was the most visual marker of muscular Christianity. This theological slash philosophical movement originated in Britain and was taken up in the U.S. in the late 19th century by evangelical Protestants. The movement stressed self-sacrifice, patriotism, masculinity, physical culture and sports, especially team sports. Epitomized by the YMCA and the Ballyhooed and the cult of the outdoors personified by Teddy Roosevelt. The new gospel of health and virility was a reaction against the perceived emasculation of white American men. Anglo-Saxons were said to be growing flabby in office jobs, being replaced in blue-collar jobs by non-white immigrants, and suffering, as always, under the yoke of emancipated women. I see. 1893. Uh Uh-huh. Which leads to two depressing thoughts. One, how a few things have changed in that time. The other is, that's before women could vote in America. Yeah, that was like 1920, right? Yeah, and I think it was like 1912 in Britain. How threatened were you by these emancipated women who did not have the vote? Very. Wow. How little emancipation does it take before certain people are so very threatened by women. Unreal. But so uh, he, he, in 1897, he published a book, Strength and How to Obtain It, which sounds like a pretty good streaming show that runs for six episodes about like some kind of heist and then kind of runs out of gas. I'm picturing like kind of a, if the a Michael Bay movie, Pain and Gain, was like a prestige <laughs> Netflix series. Yeah. Strength and how to obtain it. So, you know, you know, muscular Jesus, you know, if you've wondered why uh, pictorial representations of Jesus in the West kind of have started to lean towards a super jacked dude with blonde hair, uh, this person is, this scholar is kind of bringing it back to this. And then we come to the end of this particular article. So this all started out with a dude who was doing bodybuilding and wanted to do Jesus stuff. 
mixed in with that and just using what he had. And we, you know, we celebrate that in some way. I quote from this article, all this set the scene for eugenics, including state mandated sterilization and the closing of the immigration door in 1924. So, you know, they're literally talking about how at Harvard to get into the time, they measured parts of your skull and body to see if you had moral fortitude or whatever. So we take that, I take that idea of something that seems to have started off pretty innocently and then went incredibly bananas, getting <laughs> used as the basics for eugenics and other horrifying um, social policy and whatnot. And then that brings me to this tweet from just as you're hearing this a couple of weeks ago. The Babylon Bee being the top giver to Representative Matt Gates is just too funny. What? Mm. You may, if you have not caught up, and we haven't talked about this on the show for a while, and maybe that's a uh, a misgiving on our part. Maybe it's just because we can only take so much before we run screaming off into the night. <laughs> All right. If you haven't checked in on the Babylon Bee in a while, you may remember them as like K Love, the K Love version of the Onion. Like they would do satirical articles, but it would be like about like how long the guitar solo and the worship thing or whatever. You, you remember your aunt sharing those articles on Facebook in 2015. And I think we all got a sensible chuckle out of them. Um, at some point they went just crazy neo-Christian fascist. Yep. Yeah. So um, not only with the giving to representative Matt Gates, uh, firebrand, uh, uh, you know, QAnon adjacent uh, fixture on Fox News. A person who, and I'm for legal reasons, gonna quote from Politico here Gates, who once referred to Greenberg, a man who's about to go to federal prison, as his wingman, has been under federal investigation since November 2020 on whether he had sex with a 17 year old girl and paid her for it. Mm-hmm. So, Babylon B has started giving to this dude. And here's the real, the real kicking the teeth. They didn't start giving to him until after those accusations came out. Wow. We're not a big donor in 2020. Big fan this time around, but you think, okay, you know, we've been through this with Chick-fil-A. We've been through this with any number of kind of uh, people who have conservative ideologies and even, you know, businesses and whatnot who give in a way it's not ideal, but it's just a fact of life. How out of pocket can the Babylon be? Be how much of a destructive force can they have in the world? That brings us to another tweet from one of the uh, proprietors, the editor in chief of the Babylon Bee, from April of 2022. Elon Musk reached out to us before he polled his followers about Twitter's commitment to free speech. He wanted to confirm that we had, in fact, been suspended. He even mused on that call that he might need to buy Twitter. Now he's the largest shareholder and has a seat on the board. Again, things may have shifted in the time since after recording this, you hear it. Currently, Elon Musk is trying to back out of buying Twitter and faces a best case scenario of paying a $1 billion fee for backing out. Mm. And I can't think of a stupider thing that's ever happened. I will put it to the listener, to you gentlemen, to maybe correct me. <clears throat> Then someone getting on a phone call with a guy from the Babylon Bee and it possibly costing them a billion dollars. 
That's all the way, man. You know that phrase, cautionary tale? This is that. Yeah. Wow. I, I parallel these two stories because much like the, the kind of whimsical funniness of bodybuilder guy wants to do muscular Christianity and Teddy Roosevelt wants people to, oh, no, we did eugenics. We started eugenics. Oops. In the same yeah. way, it's like the Christian onion and, you know, nice people from church share like, ha, 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 Oh, my Lord in heaven, they're supplying money to right wing politicians who are who asked for pardons before January 6th, asked for blanket pardons. And also they might yeah. cost Elon Musk somewhere between one and forty four billion dollars. Oh, my God. Yeah. But it's just a cute Christian joke-telling thing, Matt. There may have been a time when that was true, but <laughs> are th- here's here's my question. Is the Babylon Bee the version of the person who just started posting a fair amount on Facebook, and then all they did was post on Facebook, and then they lost their complete mind where their whole world became <laughs> posting weird stuff on Facebook? <laughs> yep. I'm on the babylonb.com. Okay. Um in an incognito browser cuz I don't want this following me around the internet. Yeah, good choice, good choice. Um let's see. Let's let's just scroll through. Oh, they've got a uh, a pop culture. Thor picks up rolling pin, unlocking all the powers of Jane Foster. Wow, dude. That is both sexist and a sexist reference that is like 70 years old. Yeah. yeah. First 12 things Trump will do when he inevitably returns to power. That's not a joke. No. Yeah. That's just political fan fiction. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus criticized as ableist for healing paralytic. I don't understand. Because woke, I guess. Sure. Why not? Then there's this. Family buys lake cabins so they can spend their vacation fixing things there, too. Okay. That's, you know, sure. Wife tragically dies as Tower of Starbucks cups in car topples. Wow. Women be drinking coffee. Have you heard about this? Wow. (laughs) Family goes on vacation to see what urgent care look like. Urgent cares look like in other states. I don't, and I'm sure, I'm sure there's an addendum like, and that's good because universal healthcare is communism, I guess. Sure. Yeah. So, um, that's insane. Also, the first thing that greets you when you go to the babylonb.com, which I hope you don't do, we did this for you. I'm reading them. Do not go to the babylonb.com <laughs> if you hear anything. And is a big pop-up that says, we're fighting social media criticism, social media censorship. Do you want to give us money? No. Because we'll give it to Matt Gates. Yeah, <laughs> hard pass. <laughs> Republicans accused of colluding with reality to defeat Green New Deal. Wow. Just, wow. just cheering on. Climate apocalypse. That's fun. Oh, the top the top of their side is a big banner ad for their partnership with Prison Fellowship. So that's fun. Yeah. Huh. So it's going great. They're making everything worse, um, which is super cool. Um, we have a couple minutes left here, and I do want to 
touch on one more story that was sent into us by a friend of the show, Molly Warren. This is a couple years old, um, but it's just, I feel like it fits in tonally with we, we just didn't see that one coming and who could have yeah. said, who would have believed it. <laughs> Lawyers for Noah's Ark theme park are suing its insurance company for rain damage. <laughs> so if you're, if you're looking for a pulse check on evangelical Christianity in the United States, yeah. um, apparently phone calls with them can cost you literally billions of dollars in treasure. And the sky opened up and tried to wipe the Noah's Ark theme park off the map. Yeah. And their insurance won't pay for it. If that happened at a normal, if that happened after Disney's pride week, I think we know what their take on it would be. Yeah. That the almighty is trying to send a message. And I'm just saying, I'm going to guess that the insurance doesn't cover it because it counts as an act of God. <laughs> well, you know, we've Matt, we've covered a couple different ways that, you know, evangelicals are, are costing themselves money. But I, I think I've got an idea that goes back to the beginning of today's emergency of a way that we can make some money. Oh, fantastic. Kind of get some of that sweet cash going. So, you know, I'm thinking about muscular Jesus and I think I've got a song. It's it's a little bit of a reworked thing, but it, it comes from the 80s, which is very hot right now. People totally. people love throwback stuff from the 80s. So I feel like this could, if we get the right person to perform this, this could really take us to the top. So let me, you know, just judgment-free zone. Let me kind of run kind of the lyrics that I'm, I'm working with here past you guys and, and you see what you think. Sure, we're workshopping. Yeah. Reach out and touch gains. Your own muscular Jesus. Someone to spot your set on the squats or the bench. Reach out and touch gains. Feeling unknown and you're all alone. Women are scary, so you should be jacked and hairy. <laughs> Lift up the receiver. I'll make you a believer. Reach out and touch gains. Your own muscular Jesus. Wow. What, what, what do you think? It's art. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Given the 80s, the 80s tasking of it, can we get like kind of a double, I guess they don't really do like a double single anymore, but maybe we can get it on a Spotify playlist. Can we get, cause she's very hot at the moment. Can we get Kate Bush in on the muscular <laughs> Jesus album yeah. running up that hill to develop your quads? <laughs> for the Lord? If yeah. I only could develop my quads. That's right. Oh, if I only wow. could, I'd make a deal with God and get my bench up. Yeah. <laughs> See, I feel like there's, yeah, I think like muscular. Wow. That's what I call muscular Jesus. The album that contemporary Christian music has been waiting for. Oh yeah. And on that, we will declare emergency off. I had a couplet about supporting Matt Gates and his furrowed browed face, but oh. I didn't get it in in time. That was good, man. Like that, that was good. This is why, this is why writing sessions, you know, we get them next time. Also, I realized that that emergency, more than us riffing on things, was just me reading insane things that were happening, but there were so many insane things happening. <laughs> I had to go ahead and get them all in. Absolutely. Now, now we turn to the audience participation part of the show. We have some of your fantastic questions. If you hang on this all the way to the end, you can write into us, or you can scroll down in your episode description, click one of the two links you find there. First question comes in and says, my partner started going to therapy. They really like it so far. Some of the things they say their therapist told them and exercises they gave them seem weird to me. 
like nothing harmful or crazy, just like maybe not, not the best way to go about things. I support them totally in their therapy, but is this a conversation I can have with them? And if so, how? An excellent question. We appreciate you writing in and Lee, where would we start off? Well, I, I, I do appreciate you writing in the question and it's an important question because things that are, that are new that you don't have experience with sometimes do feel strange. Um, and you know, there is a very natural resistance that people feel towards kind of therapy, towards counselors, towards psychology, especially if you don't have a lot of experience in it. So I, I want to start out by just kind of normalizing the idea that like, I just don't know about about the way that some of this stuff comes across. I don't know if I'm into these exercises or these thoughts and stuff like that. But what I would encourage you to do in like, I love your attitude at the end of your question where you're like, look, I want to be supportive of my partners, you know, reaching out and getting help. I think that's exactly where we want to major on is I would encourage you to slow down and see how things play out. Um, as you think about some of the major things that your partner needs help in, some of the major things that are kind of holding them back or causing them trouble, um, let some of this stuff play out and ask the question, are some of those things changing for the better? Are they encouraged? Are they enabled to move past some harmful patterns? I would kind of hang back and watch how some of that plays out and really just ask your partner a lot of questions. Um, if they want to talk about their therapy session, if they want to talk about some of the, some of the exercises or some of the thoughts, uh, experiments or whatever that they're kind of working through, just ask a lot of questions about how does that make you feel? And, and tell me why that was a helpful thing. Like, Hmm, I don't really understand uh, like where you're coming from. Break that down for me more. I think that support, um, starts by you giving your partner the, the kind of space and the, the, the kind of encouragement to really, really talk about why this is helping, what they're getting out of it. And, and, and just giving them the space to, to, to go to a professional and to let that professional speak into their life, especially in an area that where you maybe don't have the schooling and you don't have the experience yet. And obviously, if you see some things that where they seem to be, you know, maybe having more distress or more, um, more trouble in, in areas where they're supposed to be getting help, that may be a, a time to kind of push back. But I would start out slow. I would slow down and just see how things play out and really, really try to major on the area of support. A great place to start off. And Judd, what would, what would we have to add to that? Definitely agree with everything that Lee said. I think one question that's worth asking, and, and this is actually worth asking about all kinds of things that relate to kind of self-improvement, is what makes this worth doing? For you, for your partner, what makes therapy worth doing? That could be the relief that it's bringing in the here and now. That could be the improvements that it will yield down the road. And, and that could be either more positive things or, or less negative things. That could also be something else. Um, not to put too fine a point on it, I just don't have a better way to put it. Um, for some folks, they we were talking before we started the show that there are folks who, who feel very proud of the kind of fitness that they do. And they want to you know mention that to other people. Um, is that something for you or your partner? That's an issue here. If you want to be able to talk about having a therapist, I'm no judgment to the positive or the negative, just asking. 
if you have a sense of what makes therapy worth doing for you, if your partner has a sense of what makes therapy worth doing, then I think it'll be a lot easier to figure out how it's going and how it's working. Let, let me explain what I mean. Let's use that very first one, the idea of just like relief. I'm, I'm going to see this therapist because I just want a sense of relief right now today. I, I want to, to feel better. Well, then kind of the, the big question is coming out of a session with your therapist, do you feel better? Right. If they're, if they're talking about stuff and doing exercises or whatever that results in your partner feeling better, then dude, we're done here. We, yeah. it is working 100%. It is, it is great. Uh, let's, and again, I, I need a better phrase than bragging rights, but I don't want to have one immediately, but go with me for a second. A version of bragging rights might be, I know people in my life who I think massively need to be in therapy. And I want to set a good example by being in therapy, my own self, so that I can kind of mention a, you know, what's good is therapy. I do therapy. Maybe you should think about it. Well, then if that's the thing that makes it worth doing, it doesn't really matter, right? Because it, it has already succeeded by the fact that you are doing it. So, um, you, you have the thing that you were looking for, but it's hard to know if something is succeeding, if you don't know what you're looking for. Mm. And that could actually, if you guys don't have a good answer to that question, that's okay. But a, that, that'd be a good thing for you to talk about, but also be a great thing uh, for your partner to talk with their therapist about, to have a sense of here's, here's why I'm doing this. Here's, here's the kind of stuff that I hope will come out of it. I can tell you for me, I'm not a therapist. I'm not even anything close to a therapist, but I have worked in kind of professional settings with a lot of people in creative enterprises where I need to help them give a performance or do something that they weren't sure they could do. And I have this huge bag of tricks that I use to get singers to sing better than they could normally sing and get drummers to drum better than they could normally drum and so on and so forth. And I don't use every trick with every person. It's a, it's a bag of tricks for right. a reason. And if you've not done a lot of record production, you wouldn't have any idea why I'm asking you to, to do this. Like if you saw me asking your friend to do this, you'd be like, that's weird. It wouldn't be anything bad, but like, but there's a reason for it because there's a thing I'm trying to get to. I want you to, to give a certain kind of performance and sound a certain kind of way. And so it's certainly possible that there's an element here of your therapist really knows what they're doing and it's stuff that you just don't know what it is and that's cool. But if you can, and again, this is you, but it's also your partner, have a sense of here's what I'm looking for here, the kind of results that I'm looking to get out of this. Here's the point of why I'm doing this. Then it's a lot easier to have a sense of, is this working? Is this meeting those goals? Uh, is, is this just spinning our wheels? Um, and make a determination based on that. But, but I would say this, and this goes right along with what Lee is telling you. The fact that something seems, I want to look at your exact language. You say, it seems weird to me, like nothing harmful or crazy. It's just not the best way to go about things. The fact that something seems unconventional to you doesn't make it bad. Yeah. Um, I, I can tell you that there's a lot of people who are very, very good at what they do who would ask people that they are in some way training or mentoring to do things that seem unconventional. I, I don't think that that's an inherently bad thing. But again, the more we're all on the same page about shared goals, the better we can evaluate and the more peace of mind we can have in the meantime. I think that's really, really fantastic. Uh, two things I would, I would add to this are one thing is we have to think about how we're understanding this. Um, if someone's going to therapy, that's, uh, according to, uh, certainly insurance companies, that's medical care. 
Yep. So we yeah. do need to be pretty careful before we interject ourselves between someone's a medically licensed professional and right. a patient who feels like they're having a good experience. That you, if you are going to have a problem with some there, you probably need, I would think, more ammo than, I don't know about that. Seems weird to me. I didn't go to medical school, but it seems weird. I would have used a 5 ace wrench on that one. Absolutely right. Mm-hmm. To use a very, very extreme example, uh, I had a friend recently who was who was asked by a, f- a friend of theirs, says, I'm kind of getting this third hand, but the idea was uh, they were there. Someone's child was seeking gender affirming care. They were trans and their the parent was doing pretty well with that. But they got to a point where there's going to be some actual medical stuff involved and they needed uh, consent from a parent, as you do, to uh, get any kind of medical procedure on a minor. And they said, well, I don't know about that. That seems like a bridge too far. And kind of echoing your question, I mean, I'm supportive and I'm supporting them up to this point, but here's where I draw a line. And my question back was, well, the doctor thinks it's a good idea and the person getting it thinks it's a good idea from, it would might be a good idea to figure out from whence your objection comes. Right. Cause if it's just a lack of understanding, that doesn't seem to weigh much against the person getting the care and the doctor supervising the care. Now it's a, a very intense example and uh, different than, you know, somebody who's going to probably like talk therapy, but I think there is, especially when it comes to things like psych psychological care or a therapy, sometimes we maybe get a little too cozy with those and forget that this is, this is in some way a clinical environment and it should have, yep a certain amount of respect put on as such for us as people who are outside of it, you know, you don't want, you probably wouldn't knock uh, your, your partners on the door when they're being their GP and say, I don't know. Those, those lipids seem fine to me. Where do, where do you come <laughs> from this with? Um, and, and to go back, that ties into what Jed and Lee were both saying there of just because it's weird doesn't mean it's wrong. Uh, I, I actually can think, I think all three of us on this show have experienced in our own life, our actual like GPs saying you should try this thing, whatever it is, you know, acupuncture or a massage or this kind of physical therapy. And your first thought being, well, that seems dumb. Why would I do that? And then you have that moment where you slide by and you do it and it works. Even though it yeah. seemed dumb, it That's worked because right. it turns out they know a thing you don't. The other thing I would say is on that supportive piece it's awesome that you're being supportive. It's great that you want to do that. Man, it's hard to say I'm supportive, but yeah, because again, you probably want to have something quite targeted with a very specific concern and evidence. If you're going to, I'm supportive, but, and there are times for that conversation, but they're, they're pretty rare. If we, if we trust our partner, if we're not seeing anything overtly harmful, if the person they're dealing with is qualified in every experience, then that support oftentimes means having the humility to push through something that doesn't necessarily make sense to you. If it's working for the other people in the situation. With that said, we're going to move on to our next question here. It says, I'm getting discouraged by how openly mean I see a lot of Christians being on TV, on social media, in real life, being homophobic, transphobic, misogynistic. It really bothers me. People act like that ascribe to the same beliefs that I do. How do I think about this? And gentle listener, I don't know if you've noticed the emergency segments in the last couple of 
last couple episodes, but I think it's fair to say we see where you're coming from. <laughs> yeah. With that in mind, Lee, where do we start off? Yeah, I, I really appreciate your question. It's really well put. Um, and yeah, I mean, I think you definitely should be discouraged with how mean uh, people are who wear the title of a Christian um, who are, or who represent Christianity in any way. The travesty of travesties, as far as Christianity goes, is someone who in any way represents Jesus and then would be thought of as mean or would treat people in a mean way. That is an absolute disaster for the whole, for the whole system, for the whole, for the whole thing. Um, what I would encourage you to do is I would encourage you, I'm going to start softly on this and then, and then it's going to become a little bit more emphatic. I would encourage you to open yourself up to the notion and, and then to the certainty that these people actually do not believe what you'd believe. Um, they say that they believe in Jesus, but what I would encourage you to do is to, um, is to make peace with the fact that they actually don't believe in Jesus. They do go to church. They do tote around a Bible. Um, some of them might keep their own copy of the scriptures in that little, that little section of their car behind the back seat where the, where the, the, the back window goes down. Um, they, you know, they have the, whatever the bracelets, the t-shirts, they listen to Caleb, they go to the conferences, they might, you know, they might go to the Bible studies and the things, um, they don't believe in Jesus. They certainly don't follow Jesus. There are certain things that Jesus says that if they were to encounter those words, they wouldn't know how to process it. Because if you look at, at anything that Jesus says or does in the scriptures, he doesn't see anything the way that they do. Um, and then there are certain things that Jesus says that actually tracks with this experience because there are times where Jesus says things like, he says, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, but I will say to them, depart from me. I never knew you. Um, there are people who call out on the name of Jesus, who claim the name of Jesus, who say that they believe in him, who say that they follow him but they have nothing to do with the way that he thinks, the way that he acts, the people, the way that he cares about people. The, the thing that Jesus was the most criticized about was the people that he cared about. That's the thing he was the most criticized about. There was a time in his hometown where he was in the synagogue and he, asked, he was asked to speak in their, in their meeting. So he takes the scroll of the, the prophet uh, the prophecy of Isaiah, he unrolls that scroll to the almost the very end of the prophecy of Isaiah, and he reads a thing that says, the spirit of the Lord is on me to preach good news to the poor, to the oppressed, freedom to the prisoners, recovery of sight to the blind. He said to those people, today in your hearing, this scripture has been fulfilled. I'm here to preach freedom for the oppressed. I'm here to preach good news to the poor. I'm here to, to set the prisoner free. And then he said to them, and by the way, I mean foreigners and the, and the outcast. And they drove, this is in the scriptures, in Luke chapter four, they drove him out of the synagogue to the edge of their town, which was set on a cliff. 
and they attempted to throw Jesus Christ off of a cliff to kill him because he said, I want to free prisoners and the oppressed and the poor, and I want to care about foreigners. And they tried to murder him by throwing him off of a cliff. That's right there in the scriptures. The thing is, is that the the meanness that you see has nothing to do with the ethic or the heart of Jesus. That's the important thing that you need to remember, that Jesus loved the marginalized. Jesus loved the people that other people uh, cast out. And when, you're, when your heart beats for the folks who are outcasts, marginalized, unloved, and uncared for, you can know this. Your heart beats in resonance and harmony with the heart of Jesus. That's what you need to know. I mean, it's a fantastic point, a wonderfully good place to start that and beautifully put. And Jed, what would we have to tack onto that? Definitely agree with Lee, man. Um, I, I want to say something very similar, slightly different words. Perhaps it it adds some some color and shading for you to consider. So. I think that a lot of religious people are used to thinking about kind of the the dialectic between belief slash faith and action slash work, right? It's faith versus works and which one matters. I want to introduce for your consideration that actually there's a third thing, and it may be the thing that there's really a disconnect on here, which is values, right? So if you think about belief, um, you could read the Apostles' Creed and probably, roughly speaking, agree with it. And a lot of the people that you're seeing online acting horrible could also read the Apostles' Creed and, roughly speaking, agree with it. And um, I think you could both agree that in terms of of works, that a work of reading your Bible is a good thing. I think you'd, you'd probably both agree to that, at least in, in principle. But I think that that the place where you really differ, like a lot, a lot, are values. Values are something else. Uh, on a core level, you and the people you're seeing do not share the same values, mm-hmm. right? If you think about, you've got your head, which holds the things you believe. You've got your hands, which is your works. But then you have your heart. And people are a combination of head and hands and heart. And so, again, you've got beliefs, you've got works and actions but you've got values. Let's look at a, a really simple example of a value for a second. Um, Cause I, I don't think anyone has a lot of emotion about this one. So my grandparents, they're not with us anymore, but they uh, grew, they came up through the depression. And so one of the things that they did is they always had enough food in their home to last a couple years. They had a big basement. They had all kinds of canned food, preserved food. They were not going to go hungry no matter what. That was driven by a core value for them. That was that was driven by a a value of um, self preservation, um, uh, self preparedness. Um, and here's the thing: I'm not criticizing that value. I don't share it. Like, there's no part of me that thinks I need to have two years worth of food in my basement. Um, I don't, I don't share that value. I'm, I can happily say I have the luxury of not having lived through a depression. Um, and maybe if I had, I would have that same value, but, but I didn't live through that. I, I don't have that value. Let's talk about something quite a bit more charged, but it goes much more to the, the point of what you're saying. One of the things that has happened in American evangelicalism in the last 50 years is the elevation of the nuclear family above all else. 
That is an absolute core value of modern American evangelical Christianity. It's not in the Bible. It is certainly not in the New Testament. Not even a little bit. Not at all. But it is an absolute core value for American evangelical Christianity is the most important thing is the nuclear family. The preservation of the nuclear family, the uh, propagation of the nuclear family, that is the thing that most matters. Now, why? what do we do with all this? The, the thing about values, and we have a clue because that's actually kind of an economic word, right, is when we have to make a choice, we're going to go with our values, when my grandparents had to make choices, right? I mean, like, there's two people living in a great big house. They don't really need, they could just move into a condo. It'd be a lot easier, but they have to give up their two-year stock of food. Mm-hmm. So if there's something that would require me to run afoul of this thing that I value, I'm not going to do that, right? And if we're not careful with our values and what our values demand, it can lead us to some really, really funky places. If you can dig it, a lot of the really awful stuff that you see people who would claim the name of Jesus doing comes from value choices that they made a long ways back that then they have kept following up on. Whenever there's a choice between A and B, I say, what's the thing that most promotes this value that I have? And we kind of wind up where we've wind up. Lee said something really amazing. He used the phrase, the people that Jesus cared about. If you want to see what Jesus's values were, you need to look at the people that he loved. That's, that's how values work. You need to look at the people that he chose. You really need to look at when there were moments when it would cost him something, what did he choose? And he chose the marginalized, and he chose the downtrodden, and he chose the forgotten. If you want to know what your values are, find the moments where your decision is going to cost something and mm. see what you preserved. See what you preserved in that moment, because that is what you value. Literally, by definition, that is what you value. So you have said, you know, these people, they are openly mean. They are homophobic. They're transphobic. They're misogynistic. What is it that they're preserving? What is it that they're preserving with those decisions? Because that that is the thing they value. To use a phrase that I just came up with now, that is their treasure. And where their treasure is, their heart is also. The same thing, in a sense, is going to happen to you. Where your treasure is, your heart will be. So choose very carefully what you decide to value, what you decide to make treasure. If you make it fundamentally a political ideology, 10 moves down the road, you may not like where that lands. Mm. Certainly, the consistent decision of Jesus over and over and over was his treasure was the hearts of people who were going through a rough time and needed someone to care about them. Absolutely right. Incredibly well put by both of these guys. Uh, one thing I will, I will tackle on the end here, and it is a thought that I don't even like having, so I don't think you're going to like to hear it. And for that, I apologize beforehand. But it is that one of the things I've had to try to become comfortable with in my Christian walk is that Jesus loves people I find unlovable. Yeah. Now, I think holding on to that is something that will serve you well if one of your kind of underlying fears is, does doing Christian stuff long enough make me like one of these other people who I don't uh, care for the way they're uh, carrying on with themselves? And one of the things I think that is totally missing from that, whatever you want to call it, conservative, evangelical, whatever, ideology is the idea 
that Jesus could care about people who I don't care about. And in that case, one of the great ironies, as both you guys pointed out, is that list is pretty much everything mentioned in Matthew 25. Uh, yep. I don't care about immigrants or poor people or people who have been in prison or sex workers or uh, addicts or any of the other many, many, many people that are Jesus mentions directly that he cares for and finds important. Therefore, to that value conversation that Jed is pointing to there, I I can't imagine that the kingdom of God involves those people when, in fact, Jesus' whole thing is all those people not only get into the kingdom of God, they get in before the religious people. But, so uh, to bifurcate that, I think one of the things that is not true and I do not buy into is that you cannot detest these people. Um, the people who are being bigoted, who are uh, sowing hate and division and, uh, you know, passing laws that are dehumanizing to trans people and gay people and all sorts of things. I don't feel that there's any scriptural call to show those people respect or deference or to think warm thoughts about them. Uh, and just, you know, you're supposed to love your enemy and that's, I'm going to do my best on that. I'm not great at it. I, it turns out the first part of that is acknowledging I think these people are my enemy. Yeah. Mm. I think everything they want in the world is something I don't want. And I think everything I want in the world is something they're actively trying to stop. So we have to start there. But I think to have a fully mature to the point that I am, which is not that mature, but it's better than I used to be. Understanding Christianity is to hold space in my head for, I think Jesus still loves these people. Mm. I wouldn't, wouldn't cross wouldn't cross the street to urinate on them if they were on fire because again, they've done nothing but so unpleasantness and awfulness and meanness in the world. But if I think Jesus died for me and I do, and these people who are outcasts and downtrodden and I find very sympathetic and I do, the kind of only way this faith works is if he died for them too. Now to go all the way back to to Lee's initial point, that doesn't actually mean they have a, a full a view of that, that they even ascribe to the same beliefs about that that I do. I think this is a fundamental idea where, no matter what they say, we ascribe to very different beliefs based on what uh, Jed was talking about there. But I think this kind of comes in two ways, and we can't skip either one of them. One is, yes, I do believe that these are still human beings made in the image of God who he values, and I am on some level called to love and value in whatever way I can. And if they are people who I have to be nice to sometimes is about the most I can do on that. That's fine. The other thing is I don't think I'm under any call or compulsion or pressure to pretend that what they're doing, saying and thinking isn't awful. Mm. I think if we have either one of those without the other, that can kind of make you crazy. I don't, we aren't, I don't think that we as people who love Jesus are in any kind of compulsion to have to pretend that racism, misogyny, transphobia, xenophobia are fine and respectable. And that's just the way some people believe. And that's their sincerely held religious belief. I think all that is total crap. I think, I don't care if they sincerely hold that belief or not. I think it's awful. And I think uh, through any uh, action of voting or fundraising or, organizing I can do to stamp that off the face of the earth is a moral imperative to do. I can also believe that they are human beings who God has some 
affection for that I cannot understand and really struggle to share most of the time. But both of those things can be true at once. And I know it's not a very satisfying answer, but it's the closest I can come to a smart thought on that. So we'll jump to our final question here. It comes in and says, James 4.3 says, When you ask, you do not receive, because you ask with wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. I feel like that verse gets used to bash people for wanting stuff. But doesn't Jesus talk about how God gives like a good father and gives even when we don't know what to ask for? What does this verse mean? Another very cool question. We really like when people dig into these these verses, how they're used, how they're interpreted. And Lee, where do we start off here? This is a very great question. A, a couple of things that would be important just... We, we talk often about how important context is when we're looking at Bible verses. One of the things that we often say on the show about that is that, uh, you know, if you're confused about something that you see in the scriptures, um, you want to make sure that it's not automatically canceling out something else you know to be true in the scriptures. So let's start there. One of the things that we do know is, and you pointed out great, that God is a, is a giving, generous Father, that God is very in favor of pleasures, um, whether that's physical pleasure, emotional pleasure, all kinds of pleasures. God is, um, he is, he's for you having um, a full and rich life and experience. He wants you to have fun. He wants you to have pleasure. God invented delicious food. God invented sex. God invented invented wine. He invented all kinds of things for you to enjoy. Um, he, he loves joy and pleasure and all of that stuff. So when we look at this, we don't want to say, oh goodness, um, people pursuing pleasure, God is against that. And in fact, that's, if people have something and they want to spend it on pleasures, then God is going to make sure that they don't have that. We can't just cancel out that. What we want to do is broaden the, the context. What is the book of James talking about? Well, one of the things that you find out in the in the book of James is that this dude is talking to some to some some people in a Christian community who are showing preference in their meetings to wealthy people to win their favor. Um and and one of the things that James says is do not do that. Um treat everybody the same and if people are poor, provide for them. If you say to someone who is cold and hungry, be warm and well-fed and be on your way, and you don't provide food for them or clothes for them, that is not what our religion is. Take care of people, provide for them. So we want to set the context of what James is saying. He's saying to a group of people who have kind of forgotten that a big part of this is taking care of poor people and making sure that poor people have everything that they need. So he is not saying God is against pleasure. Um, but one of the things that James is pointing out is that we do live in a world where you get sold a lot of stuff that you quote unquote need that you don't need. Um, and we are tempted by all of that stuff. We, we have, um, we are sold advertisements all day long for you know this thing that you need I didn't even know I wanted that and now I feel like I need it a really really good question for anybody at any time is can you tell the difference between something that God would want you to have that you can enjoy that would fulfill you that actually would satisfy you that would make you happy in a beautiful and a healthy way can you tell the difference between that 
and just something you want that is that is not healthy or good or helping in any way or at all. Can you tell the difference and can you at least admit to yourself what is working that is healthy and satisfying and what is not working? These are important questions. Um, am, am I able to tell the difference between what works to satisfy me and fulfill me and what doesn't work, what I just think I want and then at the end of it, I actually didn't want that and it doesn't make me feel better and it actually makes me feel worse. You probably have had the experience of like, I thought I wanted that and then I ate it and I feel terrible. And the next time that you see that thing, oh man, I really, really want that. Do I remember my last terrible experience with that? I sort of do, but I also kind of really, really want that again. These, (laughs) if we can talk ourselves into being honest about these experiences, that's what growth looks like. It has to do with being able to tell the difference between something that I want that's healthy and helpful and something that I want that does not satisfy and it doesn't make me feel good. But again, we need to back out far enough to see the book of James in the context of some people who were ignoring and not taking care of the poor and the hungry among them, which is a huge part of what it means to follow and walk with Jesus. A a really great informative place to start that off. And Jed, where do we close this out? Well, I think Lee has given you the perfect uh, kind of overview, biblical answer on what this is and what it means. Here's just kind of a personal thing from my life for you to, to think about. So I've had a lot of cool things in my life that have come from going to various people who did not owe me anything and saying basically, Hey, would you help me out and hook me up? Would you uh, teach me how to do a thing? Would you open a door for me? Would you assist me? Would you be there for me? I I have done a lot of that. And um, because of that, and because I have received an inordinate number of yeses, like, Dude, I have, I have been blessed. I've had way more people say yes to my request than I have any right to expect. Because of that, and because I'm a superstitious person, if you come to me and you ask me for my help, I will try and find a way to give it. Mm. Uh, just, I, that's, that's how it is. That's my secret. Please don't tell anyone because I'll be inundated with requests. <laughs> but, um, and again, it's not because I'm particularly noble. It's because I'm superstitious. And since I've been hooked up, I'm afraid that if I don't, it's going to vanish. So I got to, but now here's the thing is a lot of those requests that I received, they, they do have to do with kind of art and media stuff. And I do try and find a way as much as I can to say yes, but it's a process and you have to be willing to participate in the process for the yes to mean anything. You want to be on the radio? I'll put you on the radio, but you got to work with me. You want to record in a fancy studio and have people hear your musical vision? I'll help you do that, but you got to work with me. Most requests are not one and done. Most things in life that we want can't just happen in a moment. There's a process that we have to walk to get from not having the thing to having the thing. I mean, let's leave God completely out of it for a second. Suppose you're like, I really, really, really want a new car. Dude, buying a new car is involved, like really, really involved. I mean, like, yeah, if you're super wealthy, you don't have to worry about it, but that's only because you've paid someone else to go and deal with all the shenanigans and the nonsense for you. It's still super involved. There's no world in which you get a new car and and it just appears in front of you. You have to participate in the process. This is, this is how life works. Now, 
I tell you that to tell you this. It is amazing to me the number of people that I have talked to through the years who are like, hey, this is my dream. This is my vision. I've got, I want the world to hear my art. Would you help me out? And I say, you know what? Yes. Yes, I will. Let's do it. Let's work together. And then nothing happens. <laughs> like that happens a lot, dude. Like a lot, a lot. Like an embarrassingly high uh, percentage of the time. Like literally Matt and I had a campaign that we were doing a while back. There's a, you know, a rock station, one of the stations that we were working with. We literally put an ad on the radio of like, Hey, you're probably a better musician than, than people know. And we want to put you on the radio and reach out to us. We want to work with you. We had a bunch of people reach out and be like, man, that's so cool. And here's my song. Which we're like, yeah, we will. I dig your song. And then, oh, okay. And never heard from them again, because that's how life works. It's a weird thing, man. And, Something I want you to think about, whether it's for yourself or for other people, is you're going to go and you're going to ask God for something. Are you down for the process of him saying yes? Hmm. Are you down to participate in the process of getting from A to B? It's actually cool if you're like, no, I'm just flirting with the idea. I just like to know that it's there in case I ever really wanted to pursue it. That's actually okay. But I think you should be honest with yourself about that. And for what it's worth, I have things for me where that's true. I, I have things where I, I kind of want to scare myself with the idea, but I don't actually want to do that. I mean, like I, one for me is like, I think it would be cool to have a pilot's license. I'm not going to go to flight school. That's scary and overwhelming. I'm not going to do that. But I'm going to flirt with the idea of having a pilot's license because that's exciting. You can at least I get think- the bomber jacket, Jed. Dude, I've already got the aviators, so I'm <laughs> I'm most of the way there, baby. That's right. Okay, for you and for people that you care about, it's worth being honest with yourself. Are you prepared to participate in the process? Suppose God said yes to you. Are you ready to rock? Are you ready to work? Are you ready to get after it? Or is it just you're kind of enjoying considering the idea? Both are cool, man, but I think you owe it to yourself to be honest about that. One more bonus point. I think God is prepared to say yes to way more things than you'd imagine. Mm. And I think God is prepared to say yes to more things than you are prepared to accept and kind of go on the adventure of, because that adventure can be pretty darn overwhelming. I think that's worth looking at. Absolutely right. Incredibly well put from both of these guys. If you have a question for us, say that podcast at gmail.com, thebridgechicago.tumble.com slash ask. I'm going to keep that entirely anonymous. Hey, the song this week, this is a Lee cut called We Will Rise. Hey, got that. Thanks for listening. Just remember, we love you. God loves you. There's nothing you can do about it. Pain won't have the last word. Death won't have the final say. The sun will set on this herd and rise on an unending day. This is not the end. No, this is not.